This is Drew Kaiser. You're listening to Wide Margins, episode 30, The Best Preacher in the World. Before I get to today's episode, let me remind you about my new book, Christian Faith. It's out on Amazon.com. You can get it in paperback or Kindle formats. Eventually, uh, we would like to get this into bookstores for those of you that like to buy from the bookstore. We just haven't gotten it there yet. It's going to take a little bit of time, so if you'd like a copy now, you can get it from Amazon. I know a lot of people shop on Amazon anyway. Eventually, we'll get those into bookstores. Uh, It's a great book if you go to a church that has quarterly Bible studies. It works well for that. It has 13 chapters. Actually, it has 14, but 13 main chapters and an appendix, so you can take up the whole quarter study if you'd like with this book, The Study on Faith. Also, if you have shorter uh, class periods, maybe you like to change studies every month or something like that, the book shifts gears every four or five chapters, so you could teach for three different classes out of this one book. You can use it in a number of different ways, and um, you know I'm pretty happy with the results. would like to get the word out. And if you could, please help me do that by sharing the word about it and letting people know about it. I also want to say thank you again for all the positive feedback about the podcast. I apologize about not getting one up last week. It was a really busy week. I wasn't able to do it, but um, I, I, I am planning to do a lot more. Uh, I enjoy it, and I, I want to keep it going. And your feedback just makes it even more enjoyable I do it for myself, but it's great to know that there are people out there who are listening as well and enjoying and profiting in some way from what they're hearing. So the title of today's episode is The Best Preacher in the World. And no, I'm not going to give you the name of the best preacher in the world, but the idea comes to me from something that happened when I was in class at Fried Hardeman University when I was... Uh, younger than I am, much younger than I am now. Um, one of my favorite teachers at Fried Hardin was Dr. David Leip. And Dr. Leip was the director of the Fried Hardeman Lectureships. So he had contact with a lot of different speakers, and he was, along with the lectureship board, he had to put together a program every year. And I'm sure it was really challenging, but the sense was that he knew pretty much every preacher in the Brotherhood, whether that was true or not. And he also kind of had a list of his top ten or something like that. Young men think that way. Uh, Maybe young women do too. I've never been a young woman, so I'm not, not really sure about that. But young men definitely, as they're coming up, particularly preachers and people in professions where you get compared to each other a lot, they think that way. And they think that there's everything's got to be ranked. They're very competitive, whether they would like to admit it or not. And so I think a lot of us had this in mind that there was a best preacher out there, or at least a favorite preacher, a top ten or something like that. It's a ridiculous idea, but you know, to be honest, that's what a lot of us had in mind. And one of the students in class one day, just came out with it and asked, Dr. Light, who is the best preacher in the world? Or he might have said, who's the best preacher in the brotherhood? Something like that. And Dr. Light's answer was classic. It was great. He said, 
the best preacher in the world is probably some guy that you've never heard about before that's preaching up in Montana at the at a very small church, maybe 20, 25 people. I would say that that guy's probably the best preacher in the world. You might think he was just taking a cop out, but I think he was giving us some wisdom on that day and trying to help us understand that you don't measure somebody by his popularity or how well he is known. There are better, more lasting measures to gauge the success of somebody. And also, of course, it's not a competition. Uh, Churches are not supposed to be in competition. Preachers are not supposed to be in competition. It's really a, a question with a faulty premise. I think as I started preaching and teaching and writing, I gravitated towards people who were more polished speakers, people who I thought were smart, who could write well, who could speak well, who were well-known, who always seemed to know what to do. And that kind of talent was what impressed me. As I get older, I'm more impressed with people who can hold together a marriage relationship for 50-plus years or someone who can stay at one congregation for a long time and be effective, or someone who can, you know, just get a Bible study going with somebody and patiently work through fundamentals and hopefully bring that person to Christ. Peacemakers, I'm impressed with them. Influencers, humility, I'm impressed with that. The older I get, those are the the new measures of success to me. And I don't care so much about a person's writing ability or speaking ability or his how many lectureships he's on or meetings he does every year or how well known he is. Because that stuff is so superficial, really, at the end of the day. Can a guy keep his life together while preaching the gospel? The answer to that question will tell you who is a great minister, church leader, teacher of the Bible. This leads me to a phenomenon. I don't know that it's a new phenomenon, but it's something that's certainly grown and expanded with technology in our day and age. And I'm going to use the term that is most often used for this phenomenon, the celebrity pastor. And by that I mean, you know, a famous person in evangelical circles or in Christendom in general, somebody who's who's famous, well-known, he may have a lot of books, he may lead a large evangelical megachurch or something like that. He... um, you know, may be popular on social media or on YouTube. Uh, this, the technology has really grown this phenomenon of the celebrity pastor. And it's not anything new. Celebrity pastors go all the way back to the days of the apostles. I, I found interesting when I was looking into this stuff something in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. 
that I had never noticed before, he was giving them instructions and telling them that Titus was on his way. Titus, you know, was a well-known preacher, but he mentioned someone else who's coming along with Titus in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 18. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. He's famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. Now, I don't know if this guy was a pastor in the technical sense. He seems to be a preacher of some kind. He could have been an elder, which is what a pastor is. Maybe not. But he was famous for preaching the gospel. What I think is really great about that passage is Paul doesn't mention his name. He's famous, and Paul, it seems intentional to me, leaves out his name. Because fame is not what it's all about. And Paul was glad he was accompanying Titus to Corinth and helping out, it seems, with the gift or the contribution to the poor saints in Jerusalem. But as far as his name and his fame and all of that, Paul's not really interested in that. So this phenomenon of celebrity preachers or pastors goes all the way back to the first century. There were people being compared and ranked. Paul said... Later on in this letter, that kind of thing is not very wise. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. But people were doing it then, and they're really doing it now. With the advent of social media, technology, streaming video, uh, books are so popular, blogs are so popular, podcasts uh, get out these things and give exposure to the cream of the crop, as some people see them, the celebrity pastor. And what happens is... When people are popular and they've sold a lot of books and they're on certain book lists and known in certain circles, their words often are given more credence than the words of somebody not as well known. Maybe somebody you know better personally, but is not as well known, broadly speaking, throughout the world. And the two people may be saying the same thing. Your local preacher may be teaching a truth for decades, his whole life, and you're not that impressed with it. And then you pick up the latest book by some celebrity pastor and read in it that he's saying the same thing, and you get excited about what he's saying, and you've never been excited about it coming out of the mouth of your local preacher who knows you and who probably seeks to encourage you personally and invest in some way into your life. What's that all about? Why do we do that kind of thing? It's a very interesting phenomenon. We we just really get excited. Now, case in point, uh, baptism for the remission of sins. Now, this is a teaching that's been around since the church has been around, right? I mean, you find it in the New Testament. It's in, do I need to list the scriptures? Mark 16, 16, Acts 2, 38, on and on and on we could go. Romans 6, 3 and 4, Acts 22, 16. This doctrine of baptism in water, immersion in water for the forgiveness of sins has been around for ages. And many, many faithful gospel preachers have been teaching this doctrine. Lately, certain celebrity pastors have hinted around that they believe in it. Some have come out and plainly said that they believe baptism is essential for salvation. 
which goes against the grain of some very big religious denominations, right? A lot of folks who have known this doctrine all their lives have gotten really excited about it, and I know why. It's great to know that someone you admire who's very talented and smart and well-spoken believes the same thing that you have been believing. And I think another part of that is you're hoping that his wider audience will get this message. The problem is you don't know that person and you don't know all the other things that are packaged together with that single truth that lines up with what you've been believing from the scriptures maybe your whole life. But you do know the people who've been preaching it to you and have taught it to you firsthand. And they need support as well. And we need to be excited about that message as well at home, not just when it's you know, given generally to a broad audience in one or two books. I want to say that talent isn't everything. You know, there, there are certain people that I admire a great deal whom I don't know personally and I don't fellowship with in the faith. Writers, some of them are authors, some of them are speakers, some of them are, are eloquent in their speech, eloquent in their writing. Others are just really good thinkers and I can learn a lot from them. Others are great expositors of scripture and I can learn a lot about organizing lessons and sermon material. Others are powerful exegetes. They, they can take the text of the Bible and really show the meaning that was intended by the authors, the inspired authors of Scripture. And all of that is great, but that's not the most important thing. Talent is, is great if you've got it, but these celebrities or well-known speakers and authors, they can't shepherd you. They can't keep you accountable. They're not in your life. They can't put their arm around you and build you up. They can't address a specific need that you have and give you wise counsel tailored to what you need. They can't do that kind of thing. But the leaders who are around you that you may be neglecting or comparing to them and finding them wanting, they're in there trying to do that to the best of their ability. I think one thing that we do, we forget that these well-known authors and, and speakers have gotten to the point where they have a lot more resources and time to do the, the one thing that they do well. And we don't realize that a lot of them have a, a ghostwriter, a co-author. They have a staff behind them. They have months, maybe years, to write the particular book or project that excites you and enlightens you. And that's good because those are great tools and blessings in our lives. But we're whole, it's not fair to hold them up and compare them to our local ministers and elders and teachers, who many of whom are holding down a full-time job in addition to what they're doing at the church. Or if they're a full-time minister, they may be teaching two to four lessons a week while leading a church and counseling people, visiting the sick, praying with others providing uh, administration, 
uh, trying to do some evangelism, meeting the guy at the door who's coming to inspect the, the grease trap, doing benevolence work, doing local outreach, doing all these things and hundreds of other things while trying to influence people with the gospel. It's just not fair to hold up those two very different situations and compare them and say, well, this guy who wrote a book, he's so much more interesting than my preacher. Or this speaker that I've been watching on YouTube, he's so much smarter than my elders. I wish my teachers and preachers could write like him. I wish they could be more interesting. Why do they always have to fall back on the same old ways of speaking? And They're so traditional in their approach. When you start comparing those things, you're comparing apples to oranges. It's really not fair to these people who are slaving away every day to try to to influence and lead churches. It's an impossible standard. Talent isn't everything. Look for the ones who are there in your life investing and showing love. Those are the ones that really could use your support and that are really trying to make a difference in your life. Now, saying all of that is not to say that we shouldn't ever read or watch the lessons of celebrity pastors, well-known speakers and authors, etc. Even if they don't come from your own fellowship. I'm not one of those who says, never read their works. Now, I know that might rub some people the wrong way. A lot of people say that kind of thing. You should only read works written by brethren, people in your fellowship. Um, The problem with that is a lot of those works have been influenced by and have used resources from outside the brotherhood. For example, a lexicon. Any book that references a Greek word, I'm sorry, has is referencing a work from outside the churches of Christ. It just has. You know, I, I suppose there has been some there are some lexicons out there produced in the Brotherhood, but they're not the ones that are used and respected in the most the most trustworthy sources. The best sources, if you want to know what a Greek word means, have been have come to us from outside the Brotherhood. And that's just one example. I mean, we need to know something about works of literature so we can study the human experience. We need to know something about works of philosophy, uh, works of science, etc. And you can't get all of that from within the brotherhood. What you need to do when you read widely is to be discerning in what you read, to follow the example of the, of the Bereans, When Paul came to them, they didn't know Paul. And so the way they handled that situation, they didn't shut him out because they'd never heard him before or because he was coming to them with a different perspective than what they had had their whole life. They didn't shut him out. What they did is they opened up the scriptures and they compared what he was saying to what they read in their scriptures. And that's the right approach, to search the scriptures daily to see whether what he what we're reading or what we're hearing is so. And so uh, there are three questions I think that could be very helpful. And the first question is, is it biblical? Is what I'm reading biblical, backed up by book, chapter, and verse? Don't be intimidated by the popularity or the 
the smarts of an author or speaker, he could be leading you astray. He could very well be telling you something false. Just compare it to Scripture. Do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Secondly, ask, is it helpful now? Is it helpful? Uh, Paul, I'm kind of taking this out of context, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, Paul said, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful or expedient. Is it helpful here and now, today? Is it something that I can put into practice in the present time? Is it relevant to what I'm doing? Is there any value regarding the time and date right now? And then going along with that, another question is, is it helpful here where I'm at? Is there any reason this fits in to my life? Uh, those are works of value, even if you have to throw out the husk and keep the, the kernel, whatever the saying is on that one. Um, those are helpful. So read widely. Don't be afraid of it. Just compare it to the Word of God. There's a hierarchy here, right? Your Bible sits above all other works that you might read or all other lessons or ideas you might hear. All of it needs to come through the lens of God's Word and never put anything above that. As long as you do that, there's no danger in reading. Now, are there books you probably shouldn't read? Yeah, there are books that are a waste of your time. There are books that are attacking your faith that you have to be very careful about, books that could cause doubt. But for the most part, we can read widely, and that's going to deepen our faith and cause us to ask better questions and help us learn more about where we stand and whether it's true or not. And the truth has nothing to hide. The truth will set you free. So I wanted to just talk about those matters. They've been on my mind lately. The phenomenon of celebrity pastors and how to respond to them. They can be helpful as long as we keep them in perspective. I don't know who the best preacher in the world is. I don't know who the best preacher in the brotherhood is. I know the people, though, that have been a blessing in my life who have personally influenced me. And I'm not ranking them or anything. I'm just thanking God for them. And I hope you are, too. Thanks for listening. Stay with us. Keep listening to Wide Margins.